as Carmelo Anthony said, I'm coming home. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 1909 episode of Championship or Bust with Max, Zach, and Josh. Before we start, I requested from the guys some uninterrupted time to honor one of my favorite players outside of baseball, future first ballot Hall of Famer, top 75 player of all time, Carmelo, three to the dome, Anthony. Growing up, the Knicks were obviously one of the lowest of the low teams in all of sports. <laughs> as sad as it sounds, my first ever basketball jersey was of Eddie Curry, number 34. Uh, some of my fondest childhood memories were watching guys like Chris Duhon, Jared Jeffries, Ronaldo Balkman, and Malik Rose. So when Amari Stoudemire agreed to come to the Knicks, it was a big deal. And this became exponentially greater later in that season when the Knicks traded half the roster for Carmelo Anthony. The team that we've never seen be even a slight bit above mediocre at this point was now getting some social media questions and ESPN questions like, will the Knicks win a title in the next two years? And while the Knicks didn't reach that goal, all the Knicks fans of at least my generation of the early 20-somethings should really have a feeling of appreciation today. Yes, there were some downfalls in Carmelo's tenure in New York. There was the jealousy with Jeremy Lin, allegedly. Uh, there was the issues with Phil Jackson. Um, but there's definitely some very nice memories as well. The Easter Sunday game in Chicago, or against Chicago. Beating Boston in the first round. Uh, breaking the Knicks' all-time record for points in the game with 62. And it sounds so pathetic to say, but it's genuine. Just the idea of feeling relevant even for a short period of time, gave us just a small taste of what the parents and grandparents growing up in the 70s could feel when the garden was eaten. Now, I don't know if Carmelo's number should or will be retired at Madison Square Garden. I've definitely seen some compelling arguments today for and against. But for now, thank you, Carmelo, for wanting to be here, having the desire to do what many basketball players are too scared to do, bring a title back to Madison Square Garden and the great city of New York. But... Moving on to 1909, we have some great rivalry stuff for you today. Pirates versus Tigers, Hannes Wagner versus Ty Cobb. One of the sport's first great player rivalries, player on player, mano y mano. And both part of the original five Hall of Famers in 1936. And how great are they? 114 years later, they're still on the short list of the greatest baseball players of all time. Uh, before we spend some time on that, I'll turn it over to Josh for the game breakdowns. Yeah, like Max said, you know, this was the World Series that everyone really looked forward to. After the last two were kind of, you know, disappointments, low attendance, no one really cared. You know, you had two premier players going up against each other, and yet neither of them really made a huge impact in the series. Um, the guy that did make the biggest impact in the series was 27-year-old rookie on the Pirates, Chance Babe Adams. Um, the Pirates had six pitchers who had won 20 or more games at some point in their career. Yet, the Pirates manager, Fred Clark, handed the ball to Adams in game one, like, right before warm-ups, put the ball in his hand and said, you're starting today. <laughs> what? <laughs> and years later, Clark said that when he handed the kid the ball, his hands were shaking so bad he almost dropped it. Oh, my God. And he really, he really teased the rookie all game until pretty much the middle innings, and he kind of, you know, eased back. But Adams threw a, a six-hit, one-run game. And won the first game for the Pirates. And then the Pirates' actual pitchers that, you know, were supposed to be really good, they really struggled. They gave up six runs, seven runs, and five runs in the next three games, and then the series was tied at two. And then they gave the ball back to Adams and said, hey, kid, go do it again. So he goes up and throws a complete game. He had wow. four runs, but the Pirates backed them up on offense, and they won the game 8-4. And then Detroit goes out, and they won game six. Now it's tied. It's the first first series to ever go to distance seven games. And the night before the game, Pirates manager Fred Clark calls the team to his hotel room for a meeting. All these guys are, you know, scared as all hell. They're expecting a lecture. They're expecting, you know, not to have a good time. And they go into Clark's hotel room, and he's got beer, soda, a singing quartet, and storytellers <laughs> from the town. And they just have a night drinking, singing, laughing until it was, you know, time to go to bed. And Clark was like, listen, guys, you had a great team. You had a great season. It's a great team. Win or lose, I'm proud of you guys. You know, be loose, go have fun, and win the game. And sure enough, the Pirates went out there loose. The Tigers were stiff as all can be. They gave the ball to Adams again against the guy we've talked about before, Bill Donovan, and the Pirates just blew the Tigers out of the water in an 8 nothing game. 
And that was the World Series right there. What a way to coach a team. I really – that's something, man. That's a guy that knows his players. Yeah. Knows his room. Meanwhile, now today you have – I think it was Josh Beckett and Clay Buckholtz in the locker room <laughs> drinking beer, eating fried chicken, and they're like, nope, can't do that. Nope. Yep. Now they're a black state on the game. Exactly. And you know, this was also the first World Series where they used four umpires at one time. Oh, wow. But not, not quite like they have it today where they got each, one guy at each base. They had – well, basically, like the six we have now, they had one guy doing home plate, and then one guy was like the other bases, and then they had two guys in the foul lines. Hmm. But it was the first time they had four guys on the field at once. So we will move to the Hall of Famers from this series, and it's mostly, you know, the frequent flyers. There's a couple newbies. Uh, we'll start with the officials because we have the young buck and we have the old arbitrator. So Bill Clem was nicknamed the old arbitrator, holds the record of most World Series officiated with 18. Um, and wow. we have Billy Evans who became an umpire in 1906 at 22 years old. And he called this world series at 25 years old, which is still the youngest umpire wow. in world series history. That will probably never change. Just the idea of, you know, calling a world series and being my next age. year is yeah. insane to think about. Uh, but moving on to the players, like I said, the same frequent guys, we got Ty Cobb, we got Sam Crawford, we got Huey Jennings, Hannes Wagner, Fred Clark, and we have a newbie, Vic Willis. So Vic Willis, uh, just for a brief career breakdown, he was 249 and 205 on his career, 2.63 ERA, led the league in ERA once, led the league in losses twice. But in 1909, he was toward the end of his career. He had a really good season, uh, went 22 and 11 with a 2.24 ERA, uh, got smacked in the World Series. He had a 201 record. Uh, with a 4.63 ERA, he gave up six runs and 11.2 innings pitched. So, That's give me, he didn't <laughs> do quite well, but uh, still a Hall of Famer. Figured I'd mention it. Uh, with the other Pirates, we have Hannes Wagner, who went eight for 24, uh, six RBI, six stolen bases. Fred Clark, uh, which you mentioned, uh, who was a player manager, he hit the only home runs for the Pirates in the whole series with two. Uh, but he hit 211, went four for 19. So when he hit it, he crushed it. It was out. Um, moving to the Tigers, we have Ty Cobb, six for 26, 231 batting average, five RBIs. He didn't have his best series, obviously. He had a 656 OPS. Mm-hmm. Sam Crawford did a little bit better. He he actually hit a home run as well, uh, went seven for 28. So pretty standard. Um but that takes us into sort of our Ty Cobb versus Hannes Wagner discussion of sort of the biggest player rivalries in sports history. Because at the time, there really weren't that many, like because we didn't have social media the way that we do now. We didn't have even the TV deals. or It was really just by newspaper and by attending the games. But Cobb and Wagner felt like a legit rivalry. And I was just started making me think about like if we've ever had a rivalry like that on the biggest stage in modern sports. And like Tom Brady, Peyton Manning never got to play each other. Right. Um, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird got to play against each other three times in the finals. And they played against each other in college. Uh, the Lakers won two of them. The Celtics won one of them. Both of them won a finals MVP. So felt a little evenly matched there. Um, Wilt uh, Chamberlain and Bill Russell played together twice in the finals uh once when Wilt was in LA once when he was in Philly but Russell beat him both times and just those are really the ones that I mainly saw like obviously LeBron and Steph played each other a lot and it led to you know when LeBron won in 2016 Durant wound up signing with the Warriors and completely uneven the playing field (laughs) the weakest move ever thanks for ruining the league for a few years but we moved on from that um Yankees, Brooklyn Dodgers played each other in World Series eleven times. So I'm I was trying to think if there'd be a player that would be best associated with that, but I couldn't really think of. I guess it'd be Joe DiMaggio or Ted Mickey Williams. Mantle. Yeah, and moving into the Ted Williams, as you said, um, DiMaggio, Ted Williams, cross town. Uh, yeah. They never faced the World Series, obviously, because they both played in the American League, but uh, 1941 was the year of the 406 average in the 56 game hit streak. So. It's actually a good segue, um, unless anyone has any rivalries to point out. Only ones I thought of off the rip as like far as uh, 
you said like postseason or really big spots like championship games. I I thought of Roger Clemens and Piazza. Everyone knows the whole you know throwing the bat at him thing. That's an interesting one. Yeah, and I also thought of Pedro versus just everyone on the Yankees back then. On Zimmer. Oh well, yes, but. <laughs> <laughs> I guess more specifically, I think he was thrown at A-Rod when that happened, if I remember correctly. But Yeah, A-Rod had problems with everybody on Boston. Yeah. <laughs> but those yeah. are the two that came to my head. Are we are we specifically talking baseball here, or can I can I throw something else? You can go anywhere. Yeah. Okay, right, the first one that came to mind to me is – I mean, this one's really far out there, but Zach might appreciate this one. Nadal and Federer in tennis. Oh, duh. That's, that's a, a really great one. one. That's a really good one. And throw Djokovic in there now, too. Yeah. But I mean, those guys peaked at like the exact same time, and they kept going back and forth, and yep. you know they had one of the best test matches ever. That's I'm a so really sad I never one. got to catch Federer. I know. That's a great yeah. one. Uh, That's a really, really good one. And now that I think about it, I mean, Serena versus Sharapova was like okay for like a good three, four years before Sharapova fell off. That that could be considered maybe something there. Yeah, Sharapova's peak was awesome. Yeah, but she fell off a cliff after it last. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But I was thinking, like, if, if Gretzky, if not Gretzky, if uh, Crosby and Ovechkin got to play against each other in the cup, like, obviously they didn't, but just the thought of that. Yeah, all those playoff them. series. They play in the East, but. I mean, they played against each other in playoffs. Playoff, yeah. just, I mean, you, they can't physically play against each other yeah. in the finals. I know, but just the thought of, like, the greatness going against each other on the biggest stage stuck out to me. Like, it's more like a Peyton Manning, Tom Brady thing where they got to play in the playoffs a few times. But they never got to play against each other in sure. the Super Bowl. But this is that, but in the World Series. And it just makes me think about you know how social media would have been if the two of them oh, were through the roof. Years. Yeah. It would have been awesome. We really got deprived of that. Technology advanced sooner. Do, do we really have any player to player rivalries today though? I feel like they're more team based. It depends. Like I think, you know. I guess if we're going today, LeBron and Steph would stand out to me. Yeah. Because, like, they're getting less rivalry-ish now that they're getting older, and I feel like they're becoming more friendly, especially when Draymond started, you know, mm-hmm. kissing up to LeBron very obviously, and they basically made out after the game ended. <laughs> uh, but that felt like a rivalry when that matchup uh, formed this year. But they obviously played each other in the finals four straight years. You know, yeah. they – the Cavs lost in 2015 uh, when Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love were hurt. Yep. LeBron came back. They came back from the 3-1. The Warriors, I believe, are the first team to drop a 3-1 drop. lead in the finals. One, two straight. And then they signed Durant. So, like, there was there was definitely a domino effect with all that. You know, Draymond getting suspended in 2016 led to LeBron probably coming back. And it led – I could definitely see a rivalry there. Um I think when we were younger, there was a more clear rivalry thing because I think guys like Kevin Garnett really promoted that. You know, guys like Randy Johnson, Roger Clemens. Yeah, as far as baseball, more willing to just say, I hate you. I know. I can't think of anyone in baseball like today, really. Bryce it's, Harper has been Harper versus Strickland, I guess, but that was like a one. <laughs> it's tough now because one guy isn't going to like carry a team like basketball kind of or like hockey back in the old days. Yeah. But I mean, you still see the rivalry and they still hype it up, you know, every time, you know, Ovi and Crosby play against each other. But I mean, for like baseball, the only rivalry I can really even think of is Otani and all the media that, you know, thinks he's the greatest thing since Judge. <laughs> I mean, that's really the only one. And it really is just the media sitting there saying, well, who you know, who are we going to ride on this one because we have nothing better to do? So I think yeah. there's a little – there's potential there for some baseball rivalries if the players are even slightly more marketable or interesting in any way. Because I think Bryce Harper and Mike Trout had a lot of potential when yeah. they were coming up. Uh, but Mike Trout's just too nice of a guy to really engage hey. in that. But Bryce Harper's polarizing, he and is. that's fun. You know, someone I just thought of um... – if the Blue Jays are any good, maybe Vladdy versus. That's exactly where I was going. Yeah, yeah. yeah Vladdy has the same headstrong, yeah, idiot kind of complex like like Harper does. Yeah, and I think if the Padres can start delivering, a Padre Dodger thing could yes. form. I don't know about specific players, yeah, the Padres like Tatis or Machado versus his old team. Like there's there's definitely some seeds that you can plant somewhere. Like Aaron judge does have that in him where he was playing the music when Boston against Boston. Yeah. It could work. I just don't see a lot right now. 
I think the only rivalry in baseball right now is the AL East versus everybody else. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, I, did you see that? I, I came out a graphic a few days ago, and it was it was run scored differential, and it was AL East was like a hundred. It was like not even hundred, like two hundred and something. God, I I'll didn't see, I see find it. it. It's so bad. It's like it's it's ridiculous. Here, I found it. AL East run differential two hundred and twenty five. NL Central thirteen. Duff. AL West, negative 8. NL West, <laughs> oh. negative 11. NL East, negative 58. AL Central, negative 161. There's only one other division that's positive, and they're positive 13. That's abysmal. Good lord. You know, that's funny because the Rangers actually have the most runs scored, so you'd think the AL West would be better. Yeah, negative 8. <laughs> it's disgusting. Oh, I guess the A's are in that division. There you go. Yeah. Well, How many wins do they have? What? Four? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. They can't have more than ten. There ain't no way. Yeah, no shot. But I definitely think like a Mahomes Josh Allen or a Mahomes Joe Burrow. That's could... a good point. Yeah. So I think there's a window for it. But oh I think shit, they do have ten. Best example right now. <laughs> <laughs> you got ten wins there. And I think Crosby Ovechkin stands out for sure. See, if the NHL actually like you know had any sort of marketing whatsoever, you would see more of that. But their marketing is, is atrociously bad. So is baseball. Yeah. We really that, should have a full episode just uh, ranting about who has the worst better. marketing. Baseball's way better. At least at least baseball, like when they have like, you know, the Mexico series or something like that. It's on TV. You know about it. It's on TV and like <laughs> you'll know about it a week in advance. Yeah. Like NHL, they'll have an outdoor game, like a Heritage Classic in Canada. And it'll be like six o'clock at night, and you're like, "Oh yeah, they're playing. They're playing, uh, you know, outside tonight at ten o'clock." And it's like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, well, but half the great players in the league are in California, and they don't play till ten p.m. Well, that was the other thing. They moved the start of the playoff game to accommodate Sunday night baseball, like two weeks ago, right? This contractual, yes. they had to. I, I just thought that was ridiculous, though. It is, but it was probably cross contracting yeah. where well, they asked, they asked one ESPN. Says we have to be on ESPN and one says we have to be on at eight and they mm. yeah. well they yeah they, they asked ESPN to move the game and ESPN was like no way so they were like well let's well, let's put the game on TNT and we'll give you one of the TNT games and they were like no way <laughs> it's a shame heading back to you know DiMaggio and Ted Williams you know best players never win a title in Ted Williams I think he's one of the first ones that pop out obviously we're talking Ty Cobb and Hannes Wagner and Ty Cobb never won a ring. Um, anybody have some ideas on the best player to never win a title? Oh, yes, Mr. Mack. Uh, I'll get Ted Williams out the way. He missed seven years to military service. And again, those Red Sox teams weren't very good in the 40s anyway. But they did make it to the One World Series in 1947. They lost to the Cubs in seven games. And Ted Williams only hit 200. But I did some digging found about your favorite player who you didn't pick in the draft a few episodes ago, Mr. Barry Bonds. Boo. <laughs> 22-year career, one of the best players of all time, and never Asterisk. never won a championship. Yeah, because all they did was walk in. Well, in his early years in Pittsburgh, not so much. I mean, he was playing great. Uh, from 1990 to 92, the Pirates won the division three straight years. And back then, that sent you straight to the NLCS. There was no divisional series yet. So all you had to do was, you know, be the best of five games. Or, sorry, seven games. But they lost all three years. And in 1991, they blew a 3-2 lead to the Braves. And then 1992, Pirates are up 2 nothing in the ninth inning in a game seven and blow the lead. They're three outs away from making the World Series right. and lose. Uh, yeah. And then he didn't make the playoffs again until 1997. And when they got swept by the Marlins, uh, lost the wild card to the Cubs in 98. Didn't make the postseason 99. And then obviously uh, the Mets beat up on the Giants in four games in the NLDS in 2000. And then his big break, him and Jeff Kent, San Francisco Giants, finally make the World Series in 2002. He's 38. And this is what you're saying. They, he was getting walked left and right. He barely hit, but when he did, he was hitting bombs. The Giants were winning game six, five and nothing in the 2002 World Series, and they end up blowing that five-run lead and losing game seven. And then they would again lose in the to the Marlins, get swept in the 2003 NLDS. Bonds was a, ended up a career 245 postseason hitter, 
with right. just nine home runs and 208 plate appearances, boys. And this is the, insane. They never gave him pitches. It's tough. You should, Why you would you? Lot, I guess. But him and Kent were running the show back then. He didn't have a buzzer like Altuve. Oh. Yep. What's that? Buzz, buzz. Buzz, buzz. You're welcome. What's up, Houston fans? Yeah. Salty. All those replies. You guys are real sensitive, man. Just two more baseball Eesh. ones I thought about. Another one of the best players, pure hitters of all time in the draft, Mr. Ken Griffey, only made the postseason three times in his 22-year career, and two coming in the early stages of his career in the 90s, and one in 2008. He only he hit 290 in those appearances, but only won one playoff series in his whole career. Just shows yeah. how hard it is to break through in baseball without a good team. Yeah, I'm sure there's not just one guy. Yeah, and the same as each year. a huge team sport. Last one. Uh, Ichiro made it twice, lost in the ALCS both times, but he hit 350, so that was not his fault. I mean, he picked up right where Griffey left off. <laughs> Poor know? Mariners. With the Mariners, that team is just sad. Poor Mariners. <laughs> Those are all the baseball ones I had. But I'll turn it around and go to basketball. Um, he who shall not be named from the Utah Jazz, who I can't stand, <laughs> King Choke Artist. You know, third all time on the scoring list who did some horrible things, but the NBA is going to glorify him and act like he's this wonderful guy uh, when LeBron's breaking the record. Uh, he made three finals. Two of them were with Utah and one was with LA. Uh, Universal choke artist. We'll move on from that. Who, who, uh, I, I, I actually don't know who that is. Oh, Mr. Carl Malone. Carl Malone. Oh, okay. But yeah, so the NBA turned around and tried to act like he was great. When uh, and he was a great player, but he did some really bad things off the court. So, um, we'll move forward with his teammate John Stockton, who was consistently really, really, really good. Never the best point guard in the league, but pure passer. Uh, they made the finals twice, obviously, and then lost to Chicago. Um, but the one that I really wanted to touch base on was Elgin Baylor. So, he was on the Lakers with Jerry West and Wilt Chamberlain. They had some really good teams over the years. They actually made the final seven times with Elgin Baylor. They lost all seven. Um, he <sighs> retires midseason from 1971 to 72 season. Um, he played nine games that year. He retires. They then go on a 33-game win streak. There's also the plane crash season. It was the closest that we've ever seen a team come to perishing in a car in a plane crash. Um, they wound up winning the title that year. So I don't know if you consider him a champion or not. He did play nine games in the regular season, but he retired midseason. Poor guy. So worst luck, great, great all-time legendary player. And if you ask any of the legends from that time period, they always put Elgin Baylor like in the top five, top ten players ever. He's up there in their eyes with Oscar Robertson, Jerry West, Bill Russell, Wilt. They, they give him a ton of credit. Um, Patrick Ewing, I know I've started off Nick heavy and we're going to go back to it. Uh, obviously 1994 NBA finals, the Knicks were up three, two, uh, Hakeem Olajuwon comes out of nowhere, blocks John Starks a shot in game six, and then they lose game seven, 1995. They miss, uh, Patrick Ewing misses a putback layup, uh, because he didn't go backboard against the Indiana Pacers in game seven. And then in 1999, he got hurt and didn't get to play on the in the NBA Finals uh, against the San Antonio Spurs, who I'll probably touch base on later as they <laughs> won the lottery again. <laughs> but we're still stuck in you know lottery hell every year when we are actually in the lottery. But I digress. Um, and Chris Paul stuck out to me. Oh, that's right. He's had so many close calls. Near misses, yeah. He and James Harden had the Warriors, the Dream Team Warriors on the ropes. Yep. And then he got hurt. And it was honestly maybe the saddest – um, what if on status, non-life-threatening injury in sports in terms of just pure winning because it sucked every feeling of momentum out of the room. And I, I can't think – that is honestly a good podcast topic for the future of like the saddest non-life injury. injury considering circumstances. I think that's right up there. That's a good one. Um, but he had so many years with the Clippers, with Lob City, where you know when he was on, he played well, and then – they would end up someone would get hurt out of the three of them. And now in Phoenix, they had two promising years and two years in a row. They choked. He got hurt. He this got year. hurt. Yep. 
Uh, but last year they lost by 30 in their home arena, which was ugly. So how much of it is on him? How much of it is off of him? It remains to be seen, but he, he finds himself just on the unfortunate end every single time. And then kind of changing sports to football. Dan Marino made a Super Bowl, didn't win it. Uh, Tony Gonzalez was on the Chiefs and Falcons for a long time. They were never really in contention. He missed being on that team that blew the 31-3 lead by a few <laughs> years. Um, Antonio Gates stuck out to me. The Chargers were always really good, never really great. And then uh, Randy Moss made the Super Bowl with uh, Tom Brady's perfect Patriots until we got a hold of them. Yep. Uh, I had to bring that up, you know. We get it. Same with Junior Say, I'll rest in peace. Want to acknowledge him. And then the four falls of Buffalo, who the Giants also had a say in. Uh, Jim Kelly, Thurman Thomas, Andre Reed, Bruce Smith. Uh, great legendary players who made four straight Super Bowls. If you're, you have to have some great players on your team if you're making four of them in a row. And just wanted to kind of touch base on them as well. So. I'll turn it over to Josh because I know he's going to cover hockey a little bit more than I would ever know, so I'm going to move on to him. Yeah, I got I got two hockey guys for you. Uh, I know one of these guys you guys definitely know. Hooray! And all of our, <laughs> and all of our Ranger fans know him as, as Henrik Lundqvist. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, he was one of the best, if not the best, goaltender you know, in, in the late 2000s, early 2010s. But Alec Martinez was better than him that day. Oh, uh, wow. That day. But, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, the two-time All-Star guy, one of Vezina. He finished top five in Vezina voting seven times. And, you know, he never won a, he never won a cup, but he won he won gold with Sweden in 04. That's right. And but, a month from yesterday, he'll be announced as a Hall of Famer, June 21st. And, yes, and he will He's a lock. more than likely be a Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah. No doubt lock. But he never, never won a cup. Yay. The Rangers were just never good enough to win a cup. Yay. As an Islander fan, I will say yay. What about yay. Carey Price? For sure. I'm not going to say Carey Price here. Because <laughs> everything else that's happened with him in the last few years. I guess injury prone, yeah. If he stayed healthy yeah. and whatnot, I'm not going to touch on that. be a different story, and I'd add him to the list, but I'm not going to. <laughs> and then the other one, this guy is an old-timer. I don't know if you, either of you ever heard of him, but Marcel Dion. I do know Marcel Dion. heard the name. He is sixth all-time in scoring. He had 1,700 points. Wow. Two-time Lady Bing, two-time All-Star, one-time Art Ross, and two-time Pearson Trophy, which was the Ted Lindsay before it was Ted Lindsay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, this guy is sixth all-time in points. And never Jeez. Won. He played, you know, most of his career with the Kings in the late 70s and, and early 80s. And we know what happened in the early 80s. Yep. So, I, he just, you know, he never got there. But that's that's definitely one of the bigger guys. That's tough. Now, if Connor McDavid somehow never wins a cup throughout the rest of his career, is he automatically the best player to never win one in hockey? Ooh. If he continues on this... Yeah. Path? Yes. Like, yes. let's say he retired today. Something, God forbid, happened, and he retired today. Would you say he's the best player to never win a cup? Uh, it's it's tough to say that. Yeah. Where he is per se. I guess three time heart winner though. Right, this year's gonna be three. Yeah, I mean, I guess I you guess. can say that. Thanks. I guess you can say that. They just pure dominance over time. How many has Matthews won now? Is it just one or two? Does Matthews even have one? A heart? Am I dumb? Oh, I'm gonna. I cut don't even know out. if he has one. He he has one. He, has he one. does have one. He has last year's. So he has one. McDavid oh, has right. two. It's gonna be his third this year. I'm assuming he's winning, right? Ah, uh, yes. Like that's a yeah. no-brainer. Yeah, he's uh, led the league in points five times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he'll be fine. Dominant. He's had 600-point seasons. And the fact that yeah. Tim and Drysaddle can't break through is nuts, man. They need a defense. They the need a goalie. Time. All right, so one, so one more guy that I just I just thought of when we were sitting here. Um, and this one you'll actually know because he played until last year. And he's not officially retired, I don't think, but he will be soon, and he is a shoe and hole famer, is Jumbo Joe Thornton. 
Oh, yeah. Easy. He's a great one. Easy. I mean, he is. He still hasn't retired yet, I don't think. Yeah. Not officially, but he did not play this year. Yeah, he's done. He's 12th all-time in scoring. Wow. And, I mean, he, he won an Art Ross and he won a Hart. I mean, yeah. Great player. He, he was he, he was always an all-star. He was always in the Selkie. He was always in the Hart. You know, sometimes in the Bing conversation. But the guy was just dominant his whole career no matter where he played, whether yep. it was Boston or San Jose. So, granted, the last few years of his career were not that great, but that's because he played until he was 42. I mean, he had 125 points one season. Wow. And that was when guys weren't getting 125 points. (laughs) So, yeah. Joe Thornton. Fair enough. Awesome. I I guess that'll wrap our World Series discussion and the debate topics that go with it. But I would like to kind of shift gears for a minute and kind of go into a little bit of current events. Because this weekend, the greatest trade, and I'm not exaggerating in the slightest, <laughs> the greatest trade in Yankee history happened this weekend. <laughs> you probably have no idea what it is unless you're on this podcast. So the Yankees traded a minor league player for an outfielder named Greg Allen, who was on the team a couple years ago. Um, the That doesn't sound like it's anything special on the surface, right? You know, Greg Allen... Speedy, a journeyman his whole career. Uh, he actually has a thousand batting average this season because he's you know one for one. Yeah, but um, he has scored a game winning run. Scored a game winning yes. run. Yeah. But he has a six thirty nine OPS for his career, so nothing that special. Nine fifty OPS plus this year, but that's another story. Um, but what really came out of that was the Yankees had too many people on the team. <laughs> Which means one of them had to be sent packing. And it came out on Saturday, early afternoon on Saturday, that the Yankees planned to DFA Aaron Hicks. Yay. And in his honor, and Aaron Hicks really did have a solid Yankee career for a few years. And I feel bad for how it turned out because, you know, there was a couple of years when he was one of the most underrated players on the team. Uh, he was in the conversation for one of the best center fielders in baseball for a couple of years uh, like in the upper circle. When you say but that, I want the came, first two or three years of his contract, then he fell off. He yeah, once he got the $70 million. Yeah. But um, I just want to send a quick shout-out to Brian Cashman because my original intro was going to be, as Brian Cashman would say, you're DFA'd, but <laughs> uh, never mind on that because Carmelo retired this morning and stole that thunder. But I did make a haiku, which I call the ode to Aaron Hicks. Oh, boy. Oh, my God. Aaron Hicks is gone. <laughs> hooray, hooray, hip, hip, hooray. All Actually, right. that's eight syllables. But Posada? Aaron Hicks is gone. Thank you, Aaron, for your services. <laughs> um, hope you, I really hope that you do this. <laughs> I really hope that you have a solid career as, like, a third base coach somewhere. Um, or be better than Phil Nevin. Yes. Yeah. Um, you could be, you know, the Long Island Ducks. I'll look forward to meeting you. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I, I think that'd be great. Um, I would absolutely come for autograph Sunday. No, um, but in all seriousness, I do like Aaron Hicks. It was just too. Oh, he's awful now, dude. It's like I said, he, he played well for the first, I want to say two, three years here. And then he has just fallen off a cliff and can't even hit at all. Dude, it's funny too. I'm going to revise my haiku. Oh god! Because okay. I had I did eight syllables on accident. Aaron Hicks is gone. Get the bleep off of my team. <laughs> Goodbye, Aaron Hicks. <laughs> Thank you. Oh my god! I just think it's funny because he went he went three for three the day before they TFA. I bet that is funny, what right? What is up with that? All of a sudden, he starts playing well, and Cashman's like, "Nope, you're done." Well, he finally flipped the switch on him. Yeah, but why Why now? Like, I, I'm not complaining in any way, believe me. I Far be it from me. <laughs> but why didn't you just do it when he was hitting 40? Yeah, I don't know, man. I had an OPS plus of 8. Yeah, it was... <laughs> like... I know. What took... Why when he's hitting 300 on the stretch? Wait till he's slumping, but... Okay. Uh, now, Yankees Twitter is being a little facetious here and is all like, oh, we should immediately know... DFA Donaldson, which I think you got to um, play him when he comes back because he can at least play some defense. Hicks can't do that anymore. Yeah, I, I just, uh, have you seen LeMahieu playing third base? 
LeMahieu's better. He's nailing third base. Yeah, I guess you're right. Why so do you I need was, him? I was there last oh, no. week. He he made three really hard plays at third base in that game. Okay. Well, my There's too many guys on the Yankees that are just not good. And it's Hicks is gone. Donaldson is still here, but he hasn't played. Thank God. Um, the guy that they got, Bowers, needs to be blasted into the moon. Oh, yeah, he's poop. He I like can't Bowers. Hit. He can't hit, but not only can he not hit, he can't field. Yep. And I that's know, but I like Bowers. Why? I just like him. Why? Okay, get him off the team. <laughs> he made a Why? nice play and left, almost got hurt. He lays out. Okay. When he hits, he crushes it. Right. That's why he's batting 100 on the season. What we really need to talk about can't is catch um, a ball in right field. El Gary going to the New York Mets. <laughs> Wong Dong Tigers. <laughs> I told you, I told you, dude. Gary the Goat. Gary the Goat. Ugh. I, I mean, let's be real. He's still a better hitter than any of the Yankees have. It is. As a catcher. He is. Another Long Island duck. It's just weird seeing him in a Mets uniform. It's very off-putting, I can't lie. <laughs> Then again, then again, uh, who was that guy that played on Saturday? Uh, Reutvert? I don't even know how to say his name. <laughs> uh, he had a hell of a game. I mean, he got up there and absolutely smoked two balls and then struck out for the rest of the game. Mm. But the two balls he hit, <laughs> damn. I mean, they were rockets off the bat. But the Mets just stay taking our sloppy seconds. Ottavino, yep. Robertson, Cano, Todd Frazier, and now Gary Sanchez. It's always like any random Yankee Dylan Batances. Yeah, they yeah, Mike's got it. <laughs> it's, it's this is true. This is true. And they're always still worse than us. Oh yeah. Yep. It's hilarious. What a disappointing start to this year. I'm sure they'll pick uh, it up, but I, are I we? feel so bad. I gotta say, I was there uh last what even day was it? Verlander's debut, whatever day that was. Uh, every day is a blur to me now. Uh, but watching Verlander give up six runs and get booed off the field in his first ever start in City Field was just so much fun. Yeah, well, he is a cheater, so. Yep. We know. Then again, all I hear is that, oh, the Yankees cheat. The Yankees cheat. They had two guys that got caught with uh, rosin on their hands. Oh, uh, do we want to talk about the judge – thing i think we, we have, have to now that you um, brought it up i think we have to um uh grow up yes blue jays uh, fans you're it, it is not sign stealing when the pitcher goes out after the game and then admits that he's yep. tipping pitches <laughs> um he was tipping pitches and yep. somebody was seeing that he was tipping it's like when you're at second base and you can see the catcher giving signals you signal your hitter they're not banging trash cans and using video cameras. Exactly. I don't. I don't understand. Like I like I talk to Blue Jay fans and they're like, "Oh, you're either cheating, you're either cheating." It's like the only reason why the Astros were cheating technology and it was a problem was because they were using technology. Exactly. Cheating in baseball was an art form for years. I was just about to and say went a little overboard. Like it's honestly, I, I don't really have a. Pro- I'm in the minority. I really don't have a problem with what the Astros did anymore. Like I still do it for jokes and memes and have fun with it, but. They they found a loophole in the system and they did it till they got caught. Like anything else, I disagree. It's like, one thing to do stuff no like in the moment. It's another thing to start using video cameras and yeah. The once technology gets involved, it's a little iffy. But you and I also differ on steroids. Like because I'm quote unquote pro steroid, I feel a bit hypocritical if I'm going to say that I'm anti. The That's true. You, you just like the guys that cheat better than everybody else. Right. So like, if I'm gonna feel the, if, and as much as I don't like Altuve, I can't turn around and say that I'm totally fine with Bonds and I'm totally fine with A-Rod and I'm totally fine with Manny Ramirez, but they drew the line. And I feel right, like let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question now that you say that. What's worse here, using steroids or having a buzzer? Mm. Honestly, what's worse, cheating is cheating. I think it's more intent. I put the spitballs up with the steroids. If you're cheating, you're cheating. Just because people find smarter, better ways to cheat. All right, that didn't answer my question. Cheating. What is yeah. worse, steroids? I don't or think the there's. I don't think there is a worse. I think I put them on equal footing. All right, I disagree with that statement. Interesting. I don't think there's a severity level. I think I think the buzzer is worse. You do? Yes. Really? Yes. I mean, for me, like uh, it, think of it with the Yankees. I guess I could see that, but in in similar, A Rod 
took steroids. He put his body on the line. He risked his health, his reputation to help my team win. And as a fan, I appreciate that. <laughs> so I think the Astros are the same way. The I only difference is they put the body on the line. But I'm thankful for A-Rod for doing that until he got caught. And I'm sure the Astro fans were thankful they did that until they got caught. And now they'll defend them to the death. And I really, I respect that. I have no issue with you, Astro fans. We can be friends. <laughs> he wasn't the one who tweeted that. I'm not even the one who tweeted that. But I'm just going to go along with it. We are one after all. Uh-huh. Um, I all for one and all for all. wanted to say it does take real talent to do what Judge was doing, though. You know, to make adjustments that fast, looking over to the dugout in a second or two like that, and be able to hit a ball for a home run, it still takes right, talent. Now you just making Altuve's case for him, goddamn. Oh, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, Zach, what are you doing here? That's gamesmanship, though. It's I guess it's just an elevated form of gamesmanship. Honestly, to me, either cheating is totally fine or cheating is not. And I'm okay with uh, steroids, like, but we knew that already. Right. I, I think that if you're okay with one, you kind of have to be okay with the other. They're both they're both extreme forms. that They go past gamesmanship. They are cheating. But if I'm going to say that I forgive the Royd guys who were in front of Congress and some of them lied, <laughs> I, I have to be okay with... Yeah, you're right. I, I have to at least be a little more understanding of it. Like, I'm not going to turn around and say Altuve shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame over it if he if he has the career that deserves it. Mm-hmm. I will never vote for that guy, and I hope no one else does. But you also wouldn't vote for Bonds or Clemens. Or I, would also not I, vote I respect for your opinion. Or I just don't like those that say, oh, you know, God rest his soul, but Gaylord Perry should be in the Hall of Fame with a spitball. Whitey Ford should be in the Hall of Fame despite having the scuffing, but Bonds is out. But then if I'm saying that the cheater should be out, like the Astro should be out, then that's me doing the same thing. Well, cheating or not, Judge wasn't cheating. He wasn't. And I don't like cheating, and that's not cheating. And Blue Jays need to get over it. Yeah. He's and only, cheating if it's not the only reason why the fans cried was because the announcers, who had no idea what was going on, started complaining. Yeah, they're like, what is he doing? That's the only reason What's why. he looking at? That was all I did. What is he looking at? What is he looking at? All he at? knows, it was a fight in the stands. Yeah. Relax. I found it funny that Judge broke the maple, the maple leaf the next day. But that was so funny. Yeah, it's funny too. You know, he he, he hit that home run and the next day he went up he went out there and hit one even farther. Yeah. But the thing is that the pitcher goes out there after the game and admits right to the media, yeah, I was tipping. Good on the pitcher too. You know, owning up being honest. I appreciate yeah. that. I mean they have videos. They have videos of last year's playoffs, Harper realizing the pitcher was yes. tipping. Calling over his batter and saying, "Listen, you, you need to come here and look at this." And, and Bum hit a home run after that. And Bum hit a home run right yeah. after that because they knew he was tipping. That's that's exactly what Judge did. It's not illegal to talk to your teammates and look at your teammates. It's illegal to use video cameras, but they weren't using video cameras. It takes skill to do that, man. All right, so I just want to talk a little bit more basketball, even though we're mainly a baseball center podcast. This is called championship or bust after all. And no one has actually had this take yet from mainstream media that I've seen. And I'm going to put my non-existent reputation on the line here. So the NBA lottery was last week and the San Antonio Spurs received the first overall selection, which means they get the rights to Victor Wembanyama. Uh, Victor Wembanyama is a gigantic alien looking big man. Who <laughs> he can shoot threes and looks like he's going to be this dominant player there's one small problem now if you've ever met zach <laughs> um and those of you who listen to this spot you know zach's a pretty skinny guy right how tall are you zach six one and how much do you weigh 130 six one 130 right <laughs> Minyama looks skinnier than him yeah just about to say he's a taller me so and i mean that with love um Wembenyama, Average 21.6 points a game, 10.4 rebounds per game this year. France. Uh, with the Metropolitans in France. France. And if you notice in the highlights, everyone is just so much shorter than yes. him. So, like, hit twigs like him. Um, the year before that, last year, he averaged 9.4 points per game and 5.1 rebounds per game. Um, 
look, I see the highlights and I get why he's looked at as freakish, but he, and I saw that one play where I will admit it blew my mind where he's shooting. He shot a three. He missed it. He grabbed his own rebound and dunked it in one move. <laughs> it's insane, but he's a rail. Yeah. He's going to get killed. He's going to get bodied so hard. Indeed. Davis. I, I don't think he's going to be a bust. I think he'll be an all-star level player. But can we pump the brakes, please? Like, we can put a headline, you know, Mac thinks Webmanyama is going to be a bust, and we'll get a bunch of angry tweets back at us, I'm Good. sure. You know, more Texas fans will hate us. Wonderful. Good. Um, but the fact of the matter is, like, he, he, has, a very, he has a similar body to Chet Holmgren. Um, he, also me. Yeah. He <laughs> shot 27.5 from three this year, which for a big – isn't bad, and you and we have learned over the past couple of years that shooters can improve. But Adrian Wojnarowski uh, came out and said that Wembanyama might be the best prospect in the history of sports. Oh God! Are you kidding me? Oh my God! Like Peyton Manning, John Elway, LeBron James, Tiger Woods. Are we really gonna go here? Are we really going to give this kid ridiculous expectations that will never be hit? For every one LeBron James that you hype up like that, you have 20 Harold Miners and Frederick Weisses. About Kwame Brown. And Taylors and Mark Appels and Kwame Browns yep. and Tony Mandariches. Why are we giving this kid unrealistic expectations? I I think, like I said, I think he'll be a, a good to pretty, like, a good to very good player. I don't know if he'll be great. He's got to bulk up. He's got to work on that jumper. And, you know, who knows? Maybe he won't even have to shoot at seven, you know, at seven three. But he freak athlete that's going to get pressure, a lot of pressure that he really shouldn't have. If we all want him to be great, and all basketball fans should want this guy to be great, unless you have a, you know, a rivalry with San Antonio. This guy, if he makes it, is great for basketball. And if you notice, there's not a single negative thing that anybody is saying about him, which usually is bad news. <laughs> so keep the positive energy, but get rid of this like unrealistic expectation that we're just using for ratings. Because for the betterment of basketball and for the betterment of this kid's career, who seems like a really nice kid, you know, he was mentored by Steve Ho, you fat. So how can you not root for this guy? <laughs> I but, think it's funny you're afraid this guy's going to get bullied. I didn't realize they played defense in the NBA. Uh, I, Luka Doncic says it's easier score in the NBA than it is there. But the problem is that we see it all the time with the bigs. Like, one, if you're that skinny, yeah. one injury, you're done. Embiid's been the exception. Why? Because he has a ton of muscle. Ralph Sampson petered out. Porzingis is playing well, but not what he's not a superstar. Yeah. Yao Ming hurt him. Once he had that first injury, he was never the same again. Mm-hmm. Shaq was hurt all the time, but had an incredible career. But Shaq's the exception, not the rule. Right. You know, there's so many bigs throughout time that once they got the knee injury, once they got the back injury, once they got the foot injury, they faltered. The two exceptions really were Shaq and Embiid. And it's because they're strong. They're huge. They're physical specimens. When you have the seven five string beans, and <laughs> look, he's 19. Of course he's going to be a string bean. He's got time. But if I'm the Spurs, I'm going for it all now. Because who knows how long the shelf life is going to be. And I'm saying, like, I think that this kid's going to have – a difficult time because of the unrealistic expectations being put on him because people are going to feel jealousy real quick in this league. But you need to go for it now because the second he gets that injury, it's going to be tough from there. Yeah. But I don't know much about the hockey lottery. I know this Bedard kid's supposed to be a freak, but I haven't seen these expectations being hurled on him. There's still uh, lofty expectations actually, on actually, him. Actually, it's uh, it's worse. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You're saying that if he's not McDavid, it's a disappointment? Yes. He's supposed to be as good, if not better, than McDavid, yes. Yes. All right, so I guess it's the same. 
I mean, this guy is the second coming of Jesus. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's basically what they're saying. I mean, he's broken, like, literally every scoring record, you know, in, in the minors and in, and I mean, even in, in, in international play. Yeah. You know, in, in international play where men, fully grown men are playing, mm-hmm. and a 17-year-old kid is just breaking everything. But he's also going to be drafted by the Blackhawks, who have uh, nothing. nothing. And as great as he is, as skilled as he is, he's not as big as McDavid, and I don't think he's as strong as McDavid. And when he's not going to have anybody around him, I don't think he's going to struggle, but I don't think he's going to be you know, a 100-point player like McDavid is. I think he'll easily get 70 points. I just want to say I feel bad for Anaheim. I really think they deserve to get someone good to pair with Zegras, wherever you say his last name. I feel bad for the Detroit Pistons, too. That was a very yeah. Nick-like bad break. They were proje- they had the, the worst record in the league, and the lowest they could have gotten was the fifth pick, and they got the fifth pick in a three-man draft. <laughs> That's awful. But, you know, back back to your point that you are saying about the, about the Ducks and not getting yeah. a guy to play with Zegras. I mean, they still are. This is supposed to be one of the deepest drafts ever. And the guy that's going to get drafted most likely after, Bedard uh, Fantilli, yeah, this guy won the Hobie Baker, which is the best college hockey player in America. Yeah, some of the last few guys to win that, Cole Caulfield, Kel McCarr, Jack oh, Eichel. okay, okay. Favorite player, Jack Eichel, Johnny Gaudreau. Uh, I mean, this guy is supposed to be very, very, very good. My mistake. I didn't realize how deep a draft was. I just keep hearing about Bedard so much. Because that's all I want to talk about. But yeah. the, the guy, all the guys that go top three are supposed to be really good. Okay. But especially, especially the first two. Well, then there you go. Anaheim is someone good. Yes, I'm just glad, as a fan of a team in the Metropolitan, that the Columbus Blue Jackets did not. Yeah, win. yeah, yeah. I knew you were gonna say that. Did not win <laughs> Because if we had another powerhouse team in the Metro, You'd be screwed. Oh my God. <laughs> There's it's already over. too many good teams. Please, God, no. <laughs> why, God, why? Thank God that they got third. Because I can't, I can't deal with that. And I think, I think everybody else that's a Metro, fan of a Met team in the Metro, shares the exact same opinion yeah. as me right now. Saying, thank God that Columbus did not win. <laughs> and that wraps up our very non-1909 episode yeah. of Championship or Bust. Uh, hope you enjoyed. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.